0: Singing
1: church and good evening to our online audience it's good to see you guys Uh, we just have a couple of announcements for you guys um sunday we know it's new year's eve but we are still having our regular services so be here at 10 a.m and join us for service we would love to see you guys um, or tune in as well. Um, and the second one we have is Train Bible College. They're currently on winter break, um, but classes are resuming January 8th, 2024, the new year. And so make sure you sign in on those classes. They're exciting, and they're they're full of knowledge, and they're just wonderful to be a part of. And so whether you're interested in taking uh, classes full-time or just one class, uh, see Jesse Lindley uh, for, for more information on that. He'd love to get that for you. And then... We have Vision 2025. You guys are excited for that? I know I am. Vision 2025 is our goal um, to pay off. Um, it's a giving program to raise money to pay off all of our debt on our building so that we can be debt free by 2025. And so I encourage you guys to pray about what you um, if you want to give towards that, how much you want to do, um, it'll be a blessing to the church and a blessing to God. Um, and just um, think about that and what he has for you guys. And we also have several ways for you guys to give. The first way is online at lake-church.com. Um, the Church Center app, which is super fun and easy. You can see our, our, um, our announcements, our bulletin on there as well. There's also a text to give, and the information on that is on your seat backs. And then there's also um, giving with your envelopes, and we will be um, giving those in the back after at, at the end of service. Uh, Jerry will be over there with those. Um, and then I just have a scripture for you guys I want to share before we uh, pray over the offering. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so it's not how much you give, um, but it's your heart that you give, whether it's a penny or it's a $100. Um, just be prayerful about what God wants you to give and give it cheerfully and not like, hey, this might last $20, you know. I need that, but he will bless you and it'll go further to the kingdom of God and so um, he's good and that's why we give and this is an opportunity to give towards his kingdom and what he wants to do for you guys and so I want to pray over the offering and then we'll get started into the word so thank you father for this wonderful night we pray blessings over this offering and we Just declare that it will go forth into your kingdom and bless your people and bless kingdoms, Lord, throughout this world. And we just thank you for this offering. We praise you in your name. Amen.
2: Amen. Good evening, Lake Church. All right. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. As we continue our study in the book of Galatians, verse by verse. Uh, but before we do that, we are we do have a little bit of business to take care of. One of our little uh, babies here at the church has been in the hospital, which she's doing much better. Yeah. But uh, we are going, they asked for a prayer cloth, so we're going to anoint this cloth. And uh, we're going to pray over it, and then I'm going to put it in my pocket while I preach. You know, Paul, they used to, the book of Acts said he had handkerchiefs hung on him while he preached. Then they took those and laid those on sick people and their sickness and disease left them. So, can you believe with us tonight for the full healing and manifestation uh, in the life of Hallie Mullins? So, Rebecca, would you come and let's help me out with this here. Would you get the oil? And then, um, there you go. I know it's a lot. (laughs) A lot of Holy Spirit. Sorry, it comes out quick. (laughs) Yes, it does. All right, there you go. All right, hallelujah. Let's stand, everybody. We will just pray over this together, release our faith. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we take you at your word, Father God. We judge you faithful. We thank you, Father, that your word is forever settled in heaven. Father God, and so according to your word... Lord, we release our faith uh, that by the stripes of Jesus, Hallie Mullins is healed, and we just give You praise that that is a reality, and we just command her body to respond to that word, Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, that every cell and every system of her body receive perfect health in the name of Jesus, and we thank You, Father God, that according to the authority in Jesus' name, the highest authority in all of creation, Father God, that it is done. And we thank You for it, Father God. We command the infirmity of sickness to leave her body right now in Jesus' name. And for the divine life of God to quicken every part of her body, every cell, every system, We command the respiratory system to function in perfect health the way that it was created to function by you, Father God. And in Jesus' name, we give you praise and we give you thanks for it. And we just look ahead right now, Father God, to the testimony of her healing and we rejoice ahead of time, Father God, for it is done in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. Give the Lord some praise. Amen. And You can be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Man, I tell you, God is so good. Amen. So we're going to continue our study tonight. And uh, we left off at Galatians chapter 4 verse 20 last week. So we're just going to pick up right there where we left off. And uh, just to kind of preface this, Paul has been talking about uh, the, the theme of, sl- of sons versus slaves. As I study uh, chapter 4, that's what I see as the predominant theme. Is sons versus slaves. And so, um, we were once enslaved, uh, but we have been liberated into sonship. Which was God's desire all along. He never just wanted slaves or just servants, but he wanted sons. And if you understand, sons serve, but they do it from a different mindset. They don't do it from a mindset of obligation, but ownership. See, sons are owners. They're a part of the family. They're heirs. There's a whole different mindset and religion and legalism, which is what we've really been talking about it's the correction, the theme of correction in the book of Galatians, uh, makes you a slave, trying to serve to gain a place that Jesus provided for us as a free gift. I was thinking about on Christmas Day, you know, I was thinking about gifts, and it just the Lord just quickened in my heart and reminded me. Of the gift. Because we know Jesus is the gift. But what is the gift that Jesus gave? It's the gift of righteousness. It's the gift of making us as we ought to be. That's what the word righteousness means. It's not just uh, right position. But it's right condition. See we were created to live in relationship with God. And he created us in his image and his likeness. And Adam's sin caused us to fall from that condition. But Jesus' obedience and salvation that he provided, in that the Holy Spirit now indwells every believer, has changed our nature and changed our condition. Not just our position, but our condition. That's what he meant. That's what Paul meant when he said that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. See, something's changed. Not just in principle, but literally. And most believers have not allowed that to dawn on them yet. That if you've been uh, become a, a believer or a follower, or you've acknowledged Jesus as Lord by faith, then you have literally become a brand new person. In fact, the old man passed away and you were raised to newness of life. In fact, you are now one with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Think about that. Think about those words. If words mean anything, and really when you understand the kingdom of God, you know that words mean everything. God created everything with words. So if words mean anything, the Bible says, He who has joined himself to the Lord. How? By faith is one Spirit with Him. Truly, the revelation of the new covenant is that we are now in union with Christ. In fact, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to reveal that in the day that the Holy Spirit comes, that we would know that He's in the Father. Uh, The Father's in Him, He's in us, and we're in Him. He's revealing this divine union. See, becoming a Christian isn't just joining a religion. And we've been literally born of God. <laughs> Man, I th- you got to let that dawn on your heart. This isn't just principle. This is literal. John chapter 1 says, As many as received them, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Who were born, not of the will of the flesh, or of man, or of blood, but of God. Take all those other words out. It literally says, he who received him, he gave the right to be born of God. Mm. So, we receive from God based on inheritance. We're not receiving wages for working. We're receiving an inheritance by birthright. Man, and how many believers actually relate to God on that kind of a basis? It's mine. It belongs to me. Why? I was born into it. I didn't do anything to get it. I was born into it. And that's what he's talking about here: is That God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This is the earlier verses of chapter 4. Whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, well, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then by faith we say, Abba, Father. Which is the same terminology Jesus used when he prayed to the Father. You know what that tells me? We have the same standing of sonship that Jesus has. That's not arrogance, guys. That's confidence. Confidence. And you better be standing on that kind of confidence. Because the enemy is coming to try and cheat you of your reward by making you believe that's not the truth in your life. Amen? So that's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with people who have come along and brought doubt into the minds of these Galatian believers to try and get them to begin to trust in their own works rather than fully trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. For their salvation. So in verse 21. He says tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Here is a great point. That I have meditated on. Is that people don't struggle with legalism. Because they don't understand the gospel. They struggle with legalism. Because they don't understand the law. They don't hear. This word here means Understand. And look what he says, he says, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? What's he saying? Do you not understand what the law says? And we've been talking about that. Uh, In fact, let's look over at uh, Galatians 3.19 in the last chapter, where we addressed this a couple weeks ago. Why the law? Because we talked about the fact that the law couldn't justify, it didn't impart life, it didn't impart righteousness, it didn't do any of the things that God actually desired for us to have, which are parts of salvation. And it says, So he says in verse 19 of chapter 3, What purpose then does the law serve? That's a good question. If it doesn't serve to bring us salvation, what was the purpose of the law? Why did God give us the law if it wasn't meant to be a means of salvation? He says that it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. So it was a temporary addition not to the Abrahamic covenant, but alongside of the Abrahamic covenant until the seed should come to whom the promises were made, which is speaking of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was the seed of the woman who came to crush the head of the serpent and provide us entrance into sonship again so that we could receive the blessings of God by faith as heirs and sons of God. That makes sense? Hallelujah, I'm saying some stuff right there. It was only temporarily added alongside, not to. Because once a covenant is made or a contract, it's illegal to change it or add to it or take away from it after it's been ratified. And what he was making the point of is that when God made a covenant with Abraham, it was 430 years before he gave the law. Abraham was dead and gone. It would be illegal for God to come along after Abraham died and begin to change up the agreement that they had. And God gave Abraham the inheritance by way of promise, not by the way of performance. Hallelujah. That's good news to me. So it was only added temporarily until the seed should come. So once the seed came then the purpose of the law was fulfilled. Because verse 24 uh, said that he gave it to lead us to Christ for salvation. So we uphold the purpose of the law when we quit trying to use it to justify ourselves and save us with it. Does that make sense? We uphold the purpose which God gave the law for when we, begin, when we quit trying to use it to perform in order to qualify ourselves for things that Jesus already qualified us for. Man, I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. The purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. So what it shows us is that we could never save ourselves. You know, in the fullness of time, Christ came. Why why the fullness of time? Because it was long enough to show us that if anybody could be justified by the law, it would have happened by then. And not one person was ever justified by the law. In fact, the Word of God says no flesh. That means not one single person will ever be justified by law, which means by their own performance. Only by the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. So the law was never given for that. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. What's that? Everybody's uh, mouth may be stopped from believing that they could ever justify themselves before God by their performance. All of your reasonings are taken away. And all the world may become guilty before God. See, what we needed, what people need, and the law still serves this purpose today, is people need to come to a place where they understand personal guilt. Until you understand that you are guilty before God based on your own performance then the salvation Jesus provided doesn't have that much value. But when you realize that you are guilty before God Almighty, that you are destined for and deserving of the wrath of God based on your own performance, then the free gift of salvation looks really good. (laughs) But See, a lot of people haven't understood what the law says it says that if you're going to be justified by the law, then you have to keep all of it, all of the time. Which means from the day you're born to the day you die, you have to keep the whole law perfectly. And as James says in James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and fail in one point, you're guilty of all of it. That is the point. (laughs) So here's the good news. Here's what the law tells us. That's really good news. You're all disqualified. He <laughs> said, "Well, I could do better tomorrow. It's all. It, it didn't matter. You're already disqualified. You have to come to that realization because that's when repentance means something. It's not me being sorry for my sin. It's me realizing that I can't do anything about it." And I, qu- I come out of the state of unbelief and I come to the place of faith in Jesus as my only hope, Hallelujah. my only source of salvation. And I put my faith completely in what He did and none at all in what I do. And people think, well, that gets pe- that's telling people that it's okay to sin. No, it's, it's not saying that at all. It's the only way to be liberated from sin. Romans chapter 6 says that uh, that by grace, that if you're under the law, sin will have dominion over you. Under grace, sin has no dominion over you, okay? Verse 20 of Romans 3 says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law... Is the knowledge of sin. The law isn't the knowledge of salvation. It's the knowledge of sin. It's supposed to bring you to an awareness. Of your need. For salvation. So you'll see what Jesus did on the cross. In its, in it's proper esteem. See because. People who have a religious mindset. They think. Well I'm pretty good. I mean I do fall short. But. Jesus can just make up the difference. And that is not the revelation that you need to have in order to receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not faith in, it's faith of. Meaning my faith is focused on what He did for me completely. Completely. The faith of Jesus is my faith in His perfect performance on my behalf. And see, there are people, I believe, who think they're saved in the church who actually aren't saved. And the reason why is because they have, really, they have only related to God religiously, but never through repentance and faith. Never through repentance and faith. They have believed that if they just do everything that they're supposed to do, then that will somehow save them. And therein lies the problem because their focus is, on the, is not on the only thing God prescribes for salvation. But it's, it's actually not faith in Jesus, it's faith in themselves. And so people have just said, oh, I'm a Christian because my family was Christian. Well, that person hasn't experienced a genuine conversion. They have not come to a place of repentance where they realize that they are a sinner, that they are deserving of and destined for the wrath of God. They're deserving of and destined for hell. And so they put their faith fully in what Jesus... is kind of like uh, putting on a ba- putting on an, uh, parachute your trust is fully in that parachute. (laughs) Because you know you can't fly. (laughs) So when you put that thing on, your trust is completely in that parachute. See, Does that make sense? See, but a lot of people, they got trust in the parachute and them. This will liberate you. It will liberate you into what God desires for your life. You can get on past trying to just work out your salvation. What I mean by that is just trying to be justified. And you can get on into to what God has for your life. You know, because a lot of people, they stay around the door. I don't know if you remember, a pastor did a message called Grilling for God. And he, What he did is, it was called... Uh, Oh gosh, we did tabernacled, but he did uh, Camp Yahweh, that's what it was. And he talked. we talked about the difference in the uh, three dimensions of the tabernacle. And out in the outer court, there's the brazen altar where they offered the sacrifices. And then there's the laver where they washed. Those are symbolic of the new birth. It's the sacrifice of Jesus, the brazen altar is the cross, and then the laver is the new birth. And uh pastor was talking about how most people live their life just out at the altar grilling for God. They're just offering their sacrifices and they never move past that into the other dimensions of salvation that are available to them. They never actually really find fullness of faith just in the fact that they are a son of God, that they are justified in His sight and they have been made the righteousness of God as a new creation. And they're just grilling for God. You know, I've heard these people. Well, I hope I make it to heaven. Well, you better know before you die. <laughs> if you're waiting to find out when you get there, that's a little late. <laughs> but the law is the knowledge of sin. It's not the law knowledge of salvation. The law had two parts to it. It had the commands... And ordinances, and it had the, uh, the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system was given with the knowledge that they were going to sin. Okay? Sacrificial system was all fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. We all failed to keep the commands and ordinances. And so we needed the Sacrifice. In order to be saved, to be forgiven. And that's what the gospel is. It's the proclamation of what Jesus did for us. So that we can put our faith in what He has done for us. And we can receive the free gift of righteousness. We can take on the new identity of being sons and daughters made in the image and in the likeness of God with an inheritance that's available to us now which is the Spirit of God living and dwelling on the inside of us. And the mark of a Son of God is that they are able to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Man, what a rich... What a rich salvation and inheritance we've received that every single believer is then dwelt by God Himself. And we can have a personal relationship with God. Why? Because we've been reconciled to Him. In fact, He reconciled Himself to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. He was counting our trespasses against Jesus. And He was judging and condemning sin in the flesh and in the body of Jesus Christ. So that it could be fully punished and fully dealt with. Fully judged in the body of His Son. So that we could freely be forgiven and freely receive the benefit of having the Spirit of God. Dwelling on the inside of us and bringing the fruit of the nature of God into our life which is love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The very nature and character of God manifesting in our life by faith. So we can live in newness of life. Listen, I'm not teaching you that we don't have newness of life. I'm teaching that we do, but I'm teaching that it comes by way of faith in the finished work of Jesus, not in your own works. Hmm, Those who walk in intimacy and relationship with God will put on display these fruit. In fact, the evidence that you are walking in the Spirit is that love joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control are a part of your life. <laughs> it's the evidence. It's not the way to. It's the evidence of it. Hmm. Because, you know, people can, people can be doing religious things and not have the fruit of the Spirit manifested in your life. In their lives. There are very religious people. There are people who pray three times a day. Facing certain directions. Let me just say this. They're more devoted to their rituals than you are. They're more devoted in prayer than you are. But the love of God is not born in their life. Well, they've got, they are working at it. But that doesn't make you born again. That doesn't make you manifesting the nature and the character of God in your life. It's revelation of the new creation that causes you to manifest the new creation life. Amen? So the law is not the knowledge of salvation, it's the knowledge of sin. Let me show you this. Jesus always dealt. With legalism. It's what he faced all the time. I challenge you, go read all of the stories that Jesus tells. More and more, as I read through the Gospels, I find it is always dealing with legalism. Always! (laughs) Look at this. Luke chapter 18 says, And also he spoke this parable to some. "...who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others." I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. I want you to read that. The parable that Jesus is about to tell, he spoke it to the people who were standing there, who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. There is the way that you can recognize people who are trusting in themselves is they are always looking down on other people and the fact that they are not doing everything that they're doing. There is a... That is how you can recognize it. They're more concerned with what you're not doing Okay, so, he says this to them. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were uh, traitors to their nation because they were working for Rome and they were taxing their own people and they were lining their pockets by charging too much tax to their own brethren. So tax collectors were despised and they were looked down on as some of the worst sinners that there were. And so Jesus picks them. Oh, man, I love Jesus. (laughs) Because he got them right here. They thought, oh, man, he is going to put the smack down on the tax collector. (laughs) I love the way Jesus did. Man, he started telling the story. He said, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the Pharisee, you could just see them. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. You know, the Pharisees were going, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, but then he turned the tables on them. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you. I could just hear him. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Can you just hear the self-righteousness in those words? And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He got it. He got it. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the very next thing, which I'm not going to go to because it would take too long. The very next thing that Jesus talks about after this is that you have to, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter as a child. (laughs) Not as a self-righteous, legalistic, religious person, but as a little child. A little child who takes their father's word and believes it. And so Jesus, all of his parables, man, as I read them, you know the one where he talks about the, the, uh, the vineyard owner who goes out into the market and hires people at different hours of the day. He's talking about legalism. Because the ones who started early could not believe that the ones who were hired last got the same thing that they got. And they said, We've borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. And you're going to give them the same thing you gave to us? Well, they thought they deserved more. It's always Jesus. Because there are two ways men try to justify themselves. Either by legalism and performance. Or by grace and faith. It's the only two ways. We see it in Cain and Abel. Abel came by faith and offered the sacrifice of a lamb. A substitute. Cain came with the work of his hands. The way of Cain is legalism. He was trusting in what he produced. Rather than in the prescribed offering of a blood sacrifice and substitute. That God had told them to bring. And so... This is the battle all the way through. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. Now, Paul is going to take us to another story in the Old Testament and use this as an example to us and uh, how we're supposed to deal with legalism and purge it from our lives. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. So remember, I read verse 21. It said, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? So then he goes back to the Torah and he says, where it's written that Abraham had two sons. Actually, Abraham had eight sons, but we're only dealing with these two. One by a bondwoman, which means a slave. We know Hagar was a slave. The other by a free woman, which is talking about Abraham's wife, Sarah. Whom he received the promise of a son with. The fact that she was barren and he was old, they weren't able to produce a son themselves. And God said, You're going to have a child. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. See, here's the difference. The flesh is performance. Here's what happened. God gave Abraham and Sarah this promise of having a child. But there's always... It's always... When we receive something in the kingdom, it's always seed, time, and then harvest or manifestation. The problem comes not in the seed because the seed is perfect. When God says something, that's seed. The problem comes in the time. Mm. And what happens is when it looks like the promise isn't going to manifest, we start trying to figure out what we need to do to make it happen. Man, that's the problem. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we see our pro- hope of the promise manifesting hasn't come yet, we start to get antsy. We start to wonder, man, is it ever going to happen? Why God, why? How God, how? When God, when? How many people have asked those questions? And then the carnal mind begins to say, I have an idea. (laughs) I have an idea. Maybe God would have us do this. We want to help. God doesn't need any help. In fact, the seed sown in the heart, believed, will produce the manifestation of what God promised. Either either His word is true or not. Faith is taking God at His word. Oh, man. Let me see where I'm going here. Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was a child of the natural realm. But Isaac, the son of the free woman, was born supernaturally by the Spirit. A child of the promise of God. See, what happened was, the carnal mind and unbelief in Sarah said, I don't think this can happen. So, here's an idea. Go get my handmaiden and have a child by her and I'll take it as my own. Culturally, they did that all the time. In fact, when you look at Jacob, uh, Jacob's life, they did that. His wives actually had children by their bondwomen. So Sarah thought, I can't have a child. And she didn't have the patience to wait. So they decided, hey, let's just do this and this will this will bring about the promise of God. We'll have a child and God can bless him. Well, after all, he'll be a son of Abraham. And weren't the promises given to Abraham? The problem was, the promise was given to Abraham and Sarah's child. See, we get, all, we get in our, our own natural thinking and we produce Ishmael's. Hmm. And boy, I tell you what, they produce something we're still dealing with today. A product of the flesh. Now remember, he's trying to show the difference in how we're supposed to relate to God uh, and, and correcting legalism. Verse 24, which things are symbolic? For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, So what he says is he takes the life of these two women and their children and says this is actually symbolic of the two covenants that God made. One was given at Sinai. We know that that is where Moses received the law, at Mount Sinai. What's interesting is Sinai was outside of the land of promise. Hmm. So the law was not given inside of the promised land. It was given outside of. And so this is symbolic of the son who was born to the slave woman. And this covenant at Sinai gives birth to bondage. And I tell you what, think about that. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So when Paul was saying this, he was pointing out the fact that Jerusalem, natural Jerusalem, which was clinging to the old covenant and performance and self-righteousness was in bondage not only to the law, but also to Rome. And you know when Jesus came and He started talking about them being slaves, they said, we're not a slave to anybody. They were under Roman occupation. That shows you how much religion will blind you to your reality. They said, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody. They were under Roman occupation at the time. They were not only slaves to Rome, they were also slaves to sin. And if you're a slave to sin, you're a slave to Satan. And the law never delivered anybody out of sin. It gives birth to bondage. And Jerusalem, as an as a example of that, was in bondage at the time when Paul was writing this, which was after Christ. Man, man. I hope you're getting this. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. See, we're born of God. When Jesus said you must be born again, if you look at that in the original language, it means you must be born from above. A spiritual birth, not physical. This isn't natural. This isn't something we produce. It isn't something we do. It's something that we receive by faith. And when we recognize Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart on the gospel, we are born from above. We are born of God. We receive a new life. We receive a new spirit. We become a new creation in Him. We become sons and daughters of Almighty God. We are made, we are made again in the image and in the likeness of God. This isn't something you can do. This isn't something you can do just by your behavior modification. You could quit sinning from now until the end of your life. If you're not born again here tonight, you can stop sinning from now to the end of your life. You can attend every church service. You can give tithes faithfully. You can pray. You can read the Bible. And you'll never be born again. (sighs) Till you repent of your unbelief and trust in Jesus, you will stay in your sins. Mm. Man, I feel this tonight. I'm i feel like attacking this. It'll never you, you can nev- it will never change your condition. Behavior modification isn't gonna do it. But listen, if you get born again, it'll change your behavior. Why? Because he will give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's what Ezekiel 36 said. God prophesied that he was, gonna, he was going to institute a new covenant. And he said, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to take the stony heart out and put a heart of flesh in its place. You know what that says to me? I'm going to give you the desire to live a godly life. And then he said, I'm going to give you a new spirit. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Which means ability. So not only are you going to have the desire to live for God. You're going to have God's ability to walk in what he has for your life. Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. I could never. Listen I was raised around church. I tried to walk the walk. I couldn't do it. The law had its desired effect on my life. I realized I could never be good enough. To be acceptable to God. By my own works. And I'm thankful for that revelation. And then I heard the gospel. Man I was primed for it. <laughs> I was primed for it. I had, I had realized. That the law. I, I didn't measure up to it. And then when I heard the gospel. It was the best news I ever heard. It was the best news. I ever heard. That by faith I would be made the righteousness of God. That Jesus would be my righteousness. That I would have God's righteousness imparted to me as a free gift. Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. You know what that did? That captured my heart. It made me so grateful, so thankful for Jesus that it was not a burden to do anything for him. I wanted to. See, you gotta come out of the realm of obligation and into the realm of fascination. Most believers aren't fascinated because they haven't truly heard the law and they haven't truly heard the gospel. (laughs) And I tell you what, when you when you get fascinated with him, not a problem. Problem is we haven't had the proper level of fascination for Jesus because we've been so indoctrinated with religion. That we're still walking around under the burden of the yoke of bondage. (laughs) We haven't experienced true liberty and true freedom. Well, I say we as a general term. I have. But we're still going into more of it. Because there is not just grace, but there's more grace. And there's much grace. (laughs) There's more to be had, guys. Look at this next verse, verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Sarah. Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. When's he tell her to break forth and shout? Before the manifestation. Listen, when you get born again by faith, there is no evidence yet. Except for in here. You have the witness on the inside of you. Listen, I've told this story a million times. But I remember when I got saved, I called my dad from jail. You know. Because that's where I was. And I told him, I said, dad, I got saved. He said, boy, I hope so. (laughs) That didn't bother me because I had the witness on the inside of me. But there was no outward evidence yet. There hadn't been enough time. But you shout before the manifestation. Yeah. I tell you what. <laughs> when you understand by faith that you have been given God's righteousness, you'll shout before you see any evidence of it. I, sh- <laughs> I shouted. That's what he's saying. He's saying, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, For the desolate has. God speaks those things which are not as though they were. (laughs) He says, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. He says, Sarah, you're going to have more kids than Hagar had by a long shot. And she only had one child. But through Christ all of those who come to faith and become a son of Abraham through Jesus Christ become Sarah's children. Oh my goodness. I was looking at this, t- I was just curious about the stats. You know, there's over 3, mil- 3 billion professing Christians on the earth today. <laughs> Did you? I'm telling you, Sarah's got way more children than Hagar. Hagar. Because she only has the natural descendants of Ishmael. But Sarah had, like, when God told Abraham, look at the stars. said, if you could number them, so shall your descendants be. He's talking about you. He's talking about the spiritual sons of Abraham. Who would be born through faith in Jesus Christ. And Sarah would have many, many, many more children. Than the natural descendants of Ishmael. Man, I don't know if you're getting, I don't know I don't know if I'm communicating this or not. Look at this, verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. You're either a son of performance or you're a son of promise. Man. Because if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. And an heir according to the promise That God made to Abraham. When he said, All of the nations will be blessed through you. We are a part of that. The new creation nation is a nation that is a part of the spiritual heritage of Jesus Christ. Mm. We are not slaves, we're sons. You know, I'm thinking about the uh, prodigal son. Remember that story? When he came to himself, you know what he said? I'll just go back to my father's house and I'll just tell him I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll just be a servant. He was talking, this is what I'm going to do. And when he got there, the father ran to him. And you know what he said? He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I'll be a servant. And you know what the father did? He cut him off. He cut him off. He told the servants, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes, kill the fatted calf. For my son was lost, but now he's found. He said, no way. My son ain't going to be just a slave. Mm. Do you want to know who he gave that parable for? (laughs) But do you know who he was trying to, to cause to realize their problem? the Pharisees, it says that He spoke that to them because they were the older brother. Mm. The older brother said, I've been here all this time. I've been working the land. I've been feeding the animals. I've been slaving away. Oh man, come on now. You know what we need to pray? But well, When prodigals come home, they run into the father before they run into the older brother. <laughs> Come on now. That they find the acceptance of the father before they find the rejection of the older brother. These two women and their sons express an allegory. So I'm, going to re- I'm reading this in a different translation back at 24. I just want to read through these verses. These two women and their sons express an allegory become symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai, birthing children into slavery. Children born to Hagar. for Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem today who are currently in bondage. In contrast, there is a heavenly Jerusalem above us, which is our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. Dear friends... Just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. Listen, I tell you what, this is a powerful verse. It is always those who are of legalism. It is always the sons of performance who are persecuting the sons of the promise. That's what he says. Just as it was then, so it is today. What is he talking about? If you understand that Abraham had Ishmael and Isaac, and if you go read the story, which I don't have time, but Genesis chapter 21 talks about the day Isaac, or yeah, the day that Isaac was weaned. That Abraham threw a big party. Because they celebrated that. It was their, it was their weaning day. It was whenever they were becoming. Uh, they were maturing. That's really what it was about. And what happened was on that day. Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Now, you got you to listen to this spiritually. The voice of legalism will always mock your lack of. Uh, Your lack of progress. Anytime you're believing for something. The voice of legalism that you haven't dealt with. Will be mocking. In fact in one translation it says scoffing. At your belief that you're going to inherit the promises. You got to get rid of that voice. Man, I tell you what. Paul says that it was persecution. We don't know exactly what was going on. But it was some kind of persecution of Ishmael against Isaac. This is the way it always is. I'm telling you. People are persecuting those who are purely of grace and faith. Sons of promise. Over, It's always those who are of legalism and sons of performance. Who are coming and criticizing. Hmm. You think you're going to get something for nothing? You get what you deserve. Come on. But anyway, what happened was when his mother, Sarah, which represents grace, saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. You know what she did? She went to Abraham and said, get that boy and his mother out of here. For he will not inherit alongside of my son, the son of the promise. I'll tell you what, there's a great spiritual significance to this event that we need to get a hold of. She is saying... Law and grace can't coexist. Galatians chapter 1, what was the problem? They were mixing law with grace. You'll not receive the inheritance as long as law and grace are coexisting in the same dwelling. So, what do we do? What do we do? What does the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother and her son. You know what I find interesting? Other translation says cast out. Remember I told you that this was the elemental spirits of the world. Use legalism to put people in bondage. I find it interesting that expel and cast out are words we use for getting rid of demons. Demons. Man, what does the scripture tell us to do expel the slave mother with her son what are we talking about are we talking about a person no we're talking about a spirit of religion mm. we're talking about a spirit of religion you know what killed Jesus the spirit of religion the spirit of legalism man getting quiet in here Expel the slave mother with her son. The son of the slave woman will not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. You have to expel legalism from your life. If you want to experience the inheritance. Because those two can't coexist. Remember I told you earlier in this study, law doesn't balance grace. It opposes it. The law is not of faith. Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith. The problem is, is because we have not fully embraced the truth, we're afraid of getting rid of the law because we don't know what's going to cause us to live right. So we've kept, legal, we've kept Ishmael sitting in the corner of the room just in case we need to pull him out.
0: Oh, come on, that's good,
2: when the Bible says we're supposed to cast him out. Yep. Why? Because if he's still sitting in the corner, he can still scoff and mock the son of the promise. Man. Man. But we've kept him around for fear. Because we don't know what's going to cause it. Listen, if I don't have the law, what's going to make me live right? We're so used to the voice of the taskmaster. We have to go from, the word for a schoolmaster is pedagogue. And the word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. We've got to go from the pedagogue to the paraclete. It's the paraclete. That will cause you to live the life of God. But we're so used to the condemning voice of the pedagogue and fear as our motivator that we're afraid if we remove the restraint of the law that we won't live right. It's foolishness. You know why? You know know what we our motivation for living for God is under the new covenant? It's not law. It's love. It's not law, it's love. The law was given when we weren't born again to keep us in line and to point us to the answer, which is Jesus. But now that we've received His nature, it's love that lives for God. It's love. What, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you keep my commandments. He wasn't saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, we got it all wrong. That right there will show you your mindset's wrong. What he was saying is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Keeping his commands is the, re- is the result of loving him. <laughs> but we get it backwards. If I'll keep his commandments, then I'll show him my loving. No, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. See, we, we think we've got to have a fear of punishment to keep us in line. And if that's your, if that's your motivation, you don't have a very good relationship. I'm going to say that again. If you have to have fear to keep you living for the Lord, that's a pretty sorry relationship. If you got to be threatened to live for God... Then you don't actually live for God because you love Him. Man. Come on. It's tight, but it's right. <laughs> it's the truth. Let me read a couple of verses to you. I'll close with this. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. See, because the actions can be the same and the motivations be different. What determines whether something is a dead work or a good work? Motivation. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from love? This is what I was talking about last week. Faith and fear are not opposites. Love and fear are opposites. Okay, look at First John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Listen, you can live according to the law and not love. Pharisees did it. Paul said, I was blameless. Uh, uh, According to the righteousness that's of the law, I was blameless. But Paul was killing Christians. He didn't have love. Look at this. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Think about that. I quote this all the time, especially in the mornings. I thank God for his love and that in this is love that it was manifested in that he sent his son so that I could live. And in this is love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which means satisfaction for our sins. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, it's the response to the revelation of love. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. That means it's been brought to its maturity, the intended result is that we love one another. What did Jesus say? The greatest commandment was that we love the Lord God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength. And the second was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is maturity. Spiritual maturity is love manifested. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him. And he in God. Verse 16. And we have known. And believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love. Abides in God. And God in him. Verse 17. love has been perfected among us in this. Get this. This is the verse I was trying to get to. Love has been perfected among us in this. This is the full maturity of the revelation of love. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. When you come to a mature understanding spiritually, you'll have boldness in the day of judgment because you'll realize that as he is, so are you in this world. Look at this. There is no fear in love. Listen, if you're serving God and your motivation is fear of judgment, then you're not mature in love. Man. There is no fear in love. How much fear is there in love? None. Am I saying there's no discipline? I'm not saying there's no discipline. I'm saying there's no punishment. There's a big difference. God is dealing with us as with mature sons under the new covenant. Listen, when our children are grown and they go out on their own, every time they do something, if I went over there and tried to whip them. <laughs> I wouldn't be invited over very often. But if I have a relationship with them to where when they need wisdom, they come to me for counsel. Oh, come on now. They don't run from me, they run to me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, this is talking about the love of God, casts out fear. So if you have fear, you're not made perfect in love. You're not mature in your understanding of the love of God. Because it's not using your faith that gets rid of fear. It's your revelation of His perfect love that causes fear to leave. Perfect love casts out fear. And when you realize Uh, that the love of God sent Jesus to be the satisfaction for sins, then you're able to embrace fully the revelation of the love of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Some translations say punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect In love. They've not been made perfect in their understanding of love. We love Him because He first loved us. That's the revelation that will cause you to live for God. When you understand the love of God revealed in the redemptive work of Christ. The completeness and the perfectness of it. It will, call, it will work in you effectually to want to live for God and to be able to live for God. But if your motivation is fear, you will only live accordingly as long as the fear is imminent. Oh man, there's so much I'd like to say about that. As long as you feel fear is imminent, you'll be involved. But as soon as there's a reprieve, then you'll go back to... Is this, this is why people who get involved in fear-based religion, they'll go for a while. And then they think, well, I got time. This is like a person who works for a boss who's a hard taskmaster. As long as they're around, you'll be working hard. But as soon as they're gone, you won't be as intently working. But if you have a boss that loves you and you know they love you, they care about you as a person, they value you, you'll work hard for them whether they're around or whether they're not. You'll take ownership. Why? Because there's a love-based relationship that motivates you to live in excellence. That's where we got to get, guys. <clears throat> if we want to see what God wants to see in and through our lives to where we are zealous for for the things of God, that we're zealous to reach people, you know, you got to be excited about your message if you want... <laughs> You know, I think a lot of people shy away from witnessing a lot of times because they're not sure their good news is really as good as it should be. You know, when someone first hears it, man, they're, they're telling everybody. But then what happens is they get indoctrinated with religion and suddenly they're walking around burdened down with a yoke of bondage and they're... They're not sure they're going. They're not sure they they can give that to somebody else. It's kind of like, listen, if you go to a restaurant that is excellent, you tell everybody about it. <laughs> no one has to. Now you better go tell them about. You can't keep them quiet when you've tasted and seen. That the Lord is good. Nobody's got to tell you you need to go out and share it with somebody else. You're going to shout it from the mountaintops. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, who bring good tidings. That's what we got to get. Is that we've got the best news that's ever been given. And we're supposed to give it away. If we believed it was as good as it says it is, then we would give it to everybody. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank You tonight. Thank You so much for Your Word, Father God. We thank You for the liberty and the freedom of sonship. That we are not slaves, but we are sons who serve in the family business. That You've invited us to be partners together with You, Father God. That You've freed us from the taskmaster of sin and the law and brought us into the liberty of the Spirit, Father God. That You indwell us. That You provide us with the desire and the ability to live for You and to carry out Your will in the earth. Oh, we thank You, Father God, for your revela- for the revelation of Your love. Father God, in this, the love of God was demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank You, Father God. And because He died for us, We desire to live for Him. We thank You, Father God. And we praise You tonight. We thank You that in Christ we've received every blessing, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That we've received the very righteousness of God by faith. We thank You for it, Father. I pray that these truths settle in the minds and in the hearts of Your people, Father God. And produce... The grace for us to live the higher life. The life of your design. That you desire for us from before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. It's an honor, Father God, to be a part of your family. And we pray, Father God, that we are so conformed to the image of Jesus. That the world thinks we're fools. And that the religious, mm, that they perse... We receive the persecution of the religious and the uh, label of being fools in the eyes of the world. But for those who are being saved, hallelujah, the power of God. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If there's anybody here tonight that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, maybe you're listening tonight and you're understanding the gospel like you never have before and you just feel uh, that urgency to act on that. I want to invite you to come up and let us pray with you. Let us minister to you. If you're online and you have that same desire you never made jesus the lord of your life maybe you've just been in religion but you want to make sure that you're a son of god by faith we invite you to reach out to us online on whatever platform you're watching on and we'll get back to you Um, so if that's you tonight don't leave here without coming and seeing one of the ministers up here after service and don't forget we will be here sunday morning at 10 a.m. We're going to be having our service. It's New Year's Eve, but we'll be in the house of the Lord Sunday morning. Amen? Can you give the Lord a shout of praise as we close? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, and you're dismissed.